Welcome to the ARPA Animal Rescue of the Week podcast, featuring outstanding organizations around the country that are helping animals and the people who rescue them. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's meet this week's featured animal rescue. Laura's Hope Rescue is located in northeastern Pennsylvania and was founded in 2009. They give second chances to unwanted dogs from across the country who were abandoned at kill shelters or owner surrenders. Since their start in 2009, they have saved over 1,300 dogs and they continue to strive to find the perfect family match for each of the animals that walks through their door. Hey Grace, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Rachel. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. So why don't we just dive in and get started? And why don't you tell us a little bit about your organization, where you guys are located, and how you got started? Well, we're Laura's Hope Rescue, and we're located in northeastern Pennsylvania in a little town called Hot Bottom. Started back in 2009. My kids grew up, and they, they left the nest, and I was trying to find something to occupy my time. And I started fostering for our, our local rescue and um, realized there was a need for, for animal rescuing. And um, I seen the epidemic of homeless animals and just how our society was a throwaway society and not taking responsibility. So I decided I was going to start my own rescue. And I, I did. I just wanted to make a difference. So you mentioned that you wanted to do something different than you were seeing other rescues do. So what were you seeing rescues do? And why did you branch off on your own? And what did you do differently? What they would do is they would take this one dog that they had for adoption and they would wait until they had multiple applications. And then they would do home visits and sometimes they got denied because they had holes in their fence or they had small children and um, just a various situations. And I kept thinking, my God, we have this homeless situation and we have all these dogs that need homes and we're denying people because they have children and they don't have a fenced in yard or they have holes in their in their fences or they don't have lids on their garbage cans. And all these things are things that can be fixed. And my gosh, I've adopted to people that have never had fenced in yards and they've had dogs for 15 years. I've adopted to people who have small children and um, they've been great pet owners. So I just felt that people needed a chance. They needed a chance to prove themselves and um, if they didn't, I was right there to help them make the changes or in, the, in a case where I would take the dog back if it didn't work. Yeah, I think it's really important to give people chances, right? I, there's always a, a bigger picture, a bigger story than than an adoption application, right? It's It's hard to put history on an adoption application and to be judged by that piece of paper. Right. So I think my phone, oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but I really think my phone interview is where I really get to meet the, the talk to the person. And sometimes I'm on the phone for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, also my vet, I think the most important reference is your vet. Who knows best how you take care of your dog, but your vet reference leads me to a story about a gentleman who um, was being denied 
for several rescues and because of how he, his appearance and how he lived. And um, he was a little bit of a hoarder. He was a collector of fine junk. And it was not only on the outside of his house, but the inside of his house. The vet actually called and said that if I could just look past his appearance and how he lived, he promised me that the dog would have a phenomenal home. And so I made the home visit and was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And I said, well, I'm going to give this guy a chance. And he ended up being one of probably the best adopters ever. He um, ended up supporting the rescue until the day he died. And he made provisions for the dog. Somebody is taking care of the dog. It really opened my eyes to home visits. And I'm probably going to open a can of worms when I say this, but I don't believe in them. I believe that you might live different than I do, but it does not make you a bad pet owner. And I've been very successful with my rescue doing it that way because the vet reference tells me that you take care of your dog. And if you take care of your dog, I don't care how you live. I care how you take care of your animal. Yeah, I think that's an incredible story. And I I do think you're going to open up a a can of worms here um, because there are many rescues um, and even some shelters that believe that home visits are the the way to go. But I do think there are many different ways to do things. Um, And this works for you and it works for your volunteers and it works for your adopters. It does. It really does. And and everybody does things different, Rachel. I can't stress that enough. You know, I, I, I just do way, I do it the way that works for us. And it's been, it's been extremely successful. Now we do do home visits and we have a, a, an adopter who, who has never adopted a dog for us, or maybe a young couple. Um, we do make sure that, you know, they have everything in place and nine times out of 10, they, they know, cause I've talked to them. I said, you know, this is like a, a child for you. You never had kids. So this is your child. And um, I, I make sure that the home is safe before I put a dog in there. But if you've already had a dog or two dogs and you've got kids and um, you're good as gold, gold as long as you have a good vet reference. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what that adoption process looks like for you. So you're a rescue and I believe you can hold about 10 to 12 dogs at a time, right? That's correct. And so... What happens then? You have the you have the dogs waiting for adoption. Somebody puts in an adoption application. Walk us through what that process looks like for you. We get the application, and then the girls call the vet, of course, and we log all the vet conversation. And then we go and we make the phone call to the adopter, and we listen to them tell us their story about their dogs of past and dogs of current dogs and and then we ask a bunch of questions about you know certain situations um a lot of people work and a lot of our dogs that come into rescue can't hold their urine at this time for eight hours which is a normal work day for some people i'm always asking for example for example for the first couple of weeks until your dog gets acclimated to their new schedule, is there somebody that can come in and let that dog out for the for the for that time, just to get them so there's no accidents in the house? You don't want the dog laying in urine until the the person comes home, and you don't want the person to have to come home after a hard day of work 
and have to deal with a mess. So those things for some people are like they didn't realize that because they're not thinking about the possibility of a, a dog having accidents while they're at work. A lot of them don't believe in crating. And I'm a firm believer in crating the first couple of months until a dog gets accustomed to the to the new environment. And you can trust a dog. Um, so that these questions are really important to me before I place a dog into the home. Um, I send, once that's established and I agree to meet with them, then they come up here to the rescue and they see the dog. And I go over with them and I give them a printout of, their schedule, their eating schedule, their crating time, their activities and everything. Now, they can't follow my schedule exactly because I'm home most of the day with the exceptions of when I, when I drive a school bus because that's what I do for a living. Um, but if they, do that, if they do adopt that dog, they have a schedule to try to mimic or try to incorporate it into theirs to make the, the adoption successful. Um, we don't stop there. Um, I back my dogs. I, I know my dogs personally before I put them into homes. And there's been times where people have applied for one dog and I'll say, this isn't the dog that you want. You need to look at this dog. And I'm usually spot on. If they're having a problem, I have no problem putting one of the several volunteers, not the volunteers, I pay for um, trainers to go into the home or I'll pay for them to take them to PetSmart or wherever for one time to find out where they need to fine tune. And I always highly suggest if you can afford it and you have the time, take that dog into a training session. Even if you just do one, one session, because it bonds your dog to you. Plus it helps them fine tune their behavior. And um, it's been really successful. It's been very successful. Yeah, I love that you don't just stop after you sign the adoption papers. I think providing support to your adopters is really key. Um, it not only helps the dog right get acclimated since you've known them for a while before they're adopted, um, I think it also builds the relationship with your adopters and the community, right? And in order to be a successful rescue, um, you need to build those relationships and get the support from the community. So I think you're taking all the right steps. Um, you know, again, it's like an investment you're making, right? In Absolutely. each of the animals and the people that you're choosing to work with or the people who are qualified uh, to adopt the animals that you have. So I think that's fabulous, Grace. And not only that, sometimes adoptions don't work. There's sometimes, and in, in, in our world, we meet people we don't like. And there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes we put dogs in homes that we think that's going to be a good fit. And down the line, it's not a good fit for whatever reason. And, for, and I'll just bring the dog back and I'll refund your money. And if it's a conflict of personality with another dog, I'll be more than happy to try another dog that we might have here. You know, you don't want it to be a bad experience. You want to, you want, the, my, my, my main goal is not only the community, but my main goal is that dog. I've took ownership of that dog to find that dog a forever home. And that's my goal. Yeah. That's and it takes a lot of commitment. And so the last piece of that is, you know, what what are your adoption costs? What what do you have specific fees? Is it different by dog? Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about what that looks like. Our fees are one set fee. It's $300 for an adoption. Our dogs are fully vetted. 
uh, and top of everything that I just mentioned, the support and everything, anything over the age of five is a donation. It just seems like um, we can't adopt dogs over the age of five for some reason. And they're the best dogs because they're they're already trained and you can leave them alone when you go out because they're not going to tear up everything. Nine times out of ten, they just have been either abandoned or or whatever. They've lost their, their home and people just think they're, they're going to die. I think the best story was, oh, I don't want to adopt a dog over the age of five because I don't want to ex- have my children experience an early death. Mm. And I'm like, are you crazy? You can get a puppy and right. it can die. You know, this is life. Right. And I would rather have you teach your children that you opened your home up to a dog over the age of five than and gave it a forever home versus living in a shelter. Right. Yeah, that's a hard concept for people, right? Because they are trying to protect their their children, um, which obviously comes first. But you're right, it is part of life. And, uh, um, you know, it's different for each parent, right? And how they want to do that. But right. You know, it's it's kind of like you have to respect that, but you don't quite understand it, right? It's I don't because I, I grew up. I grew up on a farm, right? And um, farm life is different. You see, do- you see cows die in birth. You see calves being born and they're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that's that's life, right? Um, so yeah, it is really hard because I'm I'm a firm believer that you know that's how life is. That's how yeah. it cycles. Yeah, of course. So I want to just take a few minutes here and, and kind of talk about the community a little bit. You guys actually have a, a transitional support program. Well, it's um, the transitional support group. Um, the program is through our school. And these are kids that might have behavioral problems or a struggle in school. And so they have to maintain their behavior. And then they come out and they get to play with dogs or maybe brush dogs or do something with the animals for for a, a time. And it's been really successful. We live really close to the school, so it's been very welcomed and very successful, and it's even helped bring down disciplinary. So it's been a win-win. Whiskers World is a cat organization that's down the li- line from us, and every month all of us receive donations from Chewy.com, the distribu- distribution center is down over down near us and they get all the returns. And so you when you go and you pick up that donation, you get cat food, dog food, crates, you get whatever they put on put in your truck. You have no say. And so Whiskers World had a lot of dog food and they asked us if they would if we would take their dog food. So we get all that donation from them. And then in return, we use it for our adopters. Everybody leaves with a bag of dog food that the dog's been eating. And then they can go ahead and reorder that from Chewy.com. And the dog food that we won't feed because we only feed grain-free, we turn around and we donate to several food banks in our area. So we help um, people who are struggling to take care of their, their families and their pets a way to be able to keep the pet in order to surrender it because at that time, that tra- that problem, that time in their life where they're having problems. Yeah, and we've all been there, right? I think we all... Oh my God, we have. We all need help at some point, and we need to support each other and understand that, you know, 
we've all gone through that. And if we haven't gone through that, the time will come. And so I think the more we pull together and support each other on that, the better off we'll be um, as humans. And so I love that you're partnering with other local organizations, you know, such as Whiskers World. Um, you know, I think that's really cool. How did that relationship come about? Every year we do the Home and Garden Show at the Mohegan Sun Arena, and we've been doing it for five years. And they walked up to us one day and said, hey, um, could you guys use some dog food? And she goes, we're getting the Chewy donation. We had just stopped doing the Chewy donation because we were just overwhelmed with the donation. I couldn't get rid of the donation quick enough to get the next one. Wow. And, and I'm a very small rescue. And to drive a Penske truck all the way down to Hanover get the donation, then drive all the way back, and then get out of that truck and get into my school bus, do my bus run, then come back and unload seven, 11, seven to 11 pallets of dog food, dog crates, cat food, cat litter, um, and whatever, dog beds, you name it, whatever Chewy sells could be in that truck. Right. It, it just got overwhelming. And um, I had no place to put it. And sure. we were paying for storage units. And I still have a lot of donations that we, um, we, we give part of that adoption fee. If you need a crate, I'll give you a crate because I have crates. Um, so I ended up having to stop until I could use the donations correctly and be able to keep, reuse, keep accepting it without having all this leftovers because you don't want all this. If you're not going to use this stuff, like I have senior stairs and I don't have any seniors. Sure. I, I might have a dozen of those. So it really worked out well because they were able to use the cat food and I was able to use the dog food. And then they were able to, they have a um, thrift shop and that's where a lot of the crates and all the other stuff gets donated to, so they can raise money. Yeah, that's um, great. The organization. Yeah, those are the easy partnerships, right? When, when yeah. you can just have somebody walk up to you and say, hey, I have a bunch of free stuff, a bunch of yeah. free food, can you use it, right? Those are, yep. the, those are the real simple ones. Unfortunately, there aren't many out there that happen like that. So it sounds like you guys were pretty fortunate to kind of team up with those guys after you stopped, um, you know, the program with Chewy. So that sounds yeah. like an awesome partnership. It is. And it's been very helpful because we have a volunteer that has a pickup truck that goes down and they pick it up and then they bring it back. And then we, we sort it. We have a, sp a spot now just designated for dog food and, um, and then the, the donations that we donate to the other rescue, so other shelter other food banks, excuse me. So yeah, it's, it's worked out nice. I'm very, very grateful for it and appreciative. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I love that you're working with the school and with local organizations. Um, and it sounds like you guys have a, a group of really awesome volunteers as well. And so over the course of the 10 years that you've been around, how many volunteers are you working with right now? How many work with you? I should say 12 and okay. They are all amazing and they all do their part. I have one that just does Facebook and Pet Finder. I have one that just does all my flyers and Adopt-A-Pet. I have an amazing secretary who actually was a teacher at the school that we volunteer at. And she said to me, when I get done, when I retire, I'm going to come volunteer for you. And I went, okay, never thinking sure. it was going to happen. <laughs> and yeah, she has. Um, the place where I take my bus to get serviced. Um, she volunteers at my rescue 
And she had gone to, she had been a vet tech prior to that. She had worked in a vet office. So she comes with all this incredible knowledge of vetting and things that I would never look for when a dog comes in. And then I have two people who just pick up my transports. When we get transports from South Carolina, they meet at that location and they bring them up. And um, I'm very, very blessed with such an amazing group of people. Um, without them, we would not be here 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you have a great combination of people, right? Like you said, they each play a role and a very and a very important role at that. Um, yeah, you know. So I love that everybody. It kind of it just works like a well oiled machine. It sounds like, and so 12, 12 volunteers for a, a small rescue is really really good. And and it sounds like they've been with you for a long time. Uh, yeah, and not only that, I have one that w- I have one in Maryland, and she helps me with my face with my website, and I have one in Colorado that helps me with fundraisers and different ideas that um, she comes across, and sometimes helps me with um, grants. So, yeah, it's like I said, without without them, you know, we would not have been able to last ten years. Yeah, and I love that your reach is is more than just your local community. I mean, local community is key for a lot of rescues. Um, and shelters, but I love that you're reaching people in other states as well. So that has got to help you in in many different ways. Yeah, it does. And yeah, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's I think that's really key. So um, let's talk about some of the challenges in your organization. Um, I know that usually a financial the financial piece of it is is big. And I'm assuming that you have the same challenges. Of course, financial is always the biggest one maybe grant writers. I'm always looking for a volunteer to help me do those little things. Well, not, they're big things, really. Yeah, they are big things, aren't <laughs> they? <laughs> so yeah, let's take that back. Big things. Um, <laughs> fin- I, really, it's it's just financial. I cause, And sometimes behind the scenes, like I said, the grant writing, and, and those, those are my biggest challenges. I'm going to get off key here, but just this week, we were asked to take a dog that needed fin- needed surgery. And you always wonder, man, am I going to take this dog? Am I going to be able to raise enough money to take care of this dog? Because one vet bill can either, it can break you. It can financially close a rescue um, if you don't have good financial support. So that would be my biggest challenge. Yeah. It's it's financial. It is, it is a big one. So what do you do when you bring in animals who need the surgeries or need some additional support, how do you, do you have a fund? Do you ask organizations? How do you, do you ask the community? Tell us what that, what that looks like for you. How are you supported? I have an amazing Facebook community. I, um, I'm going to tear up here because no matter what I have asked Facebook my Facebook community, if it's paper towels, Clorox wipes, and just recently um, help with one of our medical cases, and they have never, ever let me down. It's just, um, we had puppies coming and we needed to get supplies and we put out our need and the UPS man was going, what the heck, Grace? I'm here three times a day. (laughs) (laughs) And he... Back up his truck. He goes, I have seven boxes for you. And it's not even Christmas, you know. And they just, they answer. They just, 
they answer. I, I can't, um, very, very blessed. Very, very blessed. Facebook community is amazing. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that, right? Because you mentioned uh, you had a medical need, and I kind of want to talk about what that looks like for you. What what was that need? How much money was needed? And were you successful in getting what you needed? Well, we had a, a gentleman surrender a three to four month old purebred bulldog who had some incontinence going on, urinary tract infections, and the, the breeder just couldn't deal with it anymore. And so he um, took it back from the person that he sold it to, and then he was, they told him they were going to put it to sleep, and he didn't want it, so want that to happen. So he brought it to me and took it to my vet, and my vet goes, Grace, because you're dealing with something serious here. He says, um, She's got a lot of health issues. So we went to Cornell and they told us exactly what was wrong. She had a deformed kidney. Um, she had her vulva was completely um, wrong. It was not even properly formed. And um, anywhere between <laughs> three to seven thousand dollars. Wow. Just to get her fixed. So we came back and we had a rescue meeting and I said, this is, this is, we're going to have to raise this money. And if we can't raise this money, I don't know what we're going to do. Because if we don't raise this money, this could actually close our rescue. Because we didn't have that kind of money. Right. Right. And um, previous, before Wilma, who we're talking about now, we had rescued a dog who needed his leg amputated and his name was Nelson and that was $1,700 and somebody piped up and said, well, we raised the money for Nelson. I said, yeah, well, that was only $1,700. She goes, we can do it again. Wow. So we put that story out there and Rachel, within 24 hours, we had half the money that we needed. Wow. We had private people call us and say, whatever you need, just let us know and we'll send you the money. And um, she had her surgery. She had her kidney removed up at Cornell University. She had her um, urethra tube removed. She had her bladder lasered. And then she had her vulva reconstructed all in one surgery. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And we raised every penny. And I just sat back and said, oh, my God. If you follow us on Facebook, um, we have an app that makes Wilma talk. And every so many weeks, <laughs> she gets on and she tells everybody what's going on in her life. She just celebrated her first birthday. Aww. And people mailed her money to go shopping at PetSmart. Oh, I love that. And we went shopping and she spent every dime. And she <laughs> bought toys and she brought cookies and she... She would get that, I'd get that bag of cookies out and she'd run in front of everybody because she didn't want to have to share her cookies. And I said, well, my man, if I give you a cookie, everybody has to get a cookie. <laughs> you know, so, you know, she's a one-year-old, you know, yeah. what do you expect? Yeah. Um, but she, she's going to need ongoing care and we realize that and we can't expect anybody to financially take that on, take that burden on. So we decided, I had just recently lost in March of last year, my, um, my Springer, who I rescued out of a Walmart parking lot 
and a trunk of a car. And it was buy one, get one free. And oh I bought them both. And of course, the second one, Stevie, was blind. Oh, my. So off to Cornell. And this was on my dime. And I removed his eyes. And um, I kept him. And of course, you know, he had seizures and he had everything else that he got old as he got older. So I ended up putting him down in March. So everybody said we should keep Wilma because Wilma can replace the mascot and be our mascot. So... Wilma the Bulldog is now Laura's Hope Rescue mascot. <laughs> I love that. And fully supported by the community for your rescue, which is even My more Facebook amazing. Community. My yeah. Facebook community. Yeah. yeah, your Facebook community. Yeah, I think that's really amazing that, you know, the power of social media and a good story and awesome supporters um, really do make the difference, right? They're the ones that that give you the energy to go on when, you know, sometimes days get days get hard. And oh, you're absolutely right. A day in rescue is no walk in the park, right? It's it's hard work and it's commitment. Those feel good stories, right? Yeah. To to continue on, and it sounds like Wilma definitely does that for you guys. She does, and you're absolutely right about Facebook because there's days where you know I'm sitting here going, "Why am I doing this?" And then somebody will send me a note that I adopted to and said, "Here's a good story. Um, I adopted out this dog that nobody wanted. He didn't like men." Not he didn't like me. He didn't like certain men. Sure. And so I told this woman that she goes, oh, I don't care. My my boyfriend can handle everything. And they come pick up this dog. And on the way home, this dog is actually growling in this man's ear. Hmm. And he they dealt with it. And the dog came around and everything was fine. This summer, of course, we had a lot of rain. And, the, and they live by a river. And their daughter's dog came over to play. And she went out to the water and the current took her away. My rescue dog jumped in the water, swam around that dog and brought it back. That's amazing. So that day I needed that story because I was just so overwhelmed. I was like, you know what? I need to take a break from this. I need to walk away. And that email came with that story. And it was just like, you know, I'm okay. Yeah. This is why I'm here for because that dog would have been euthanized. Because he was, he had an issue. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it is amazing, right? And you do need those stories to hold on to. So I'm glad yeah. that, that your adopters are able to share those stories with you and your Facebook community rallies around you and, and they give you the support you need. It's really, really important to be surrounded around, to be surrounded by good people like that to keep you going. It's helpful. It's very helpful. Yeah, it's very, very helpful. So you've been doing this for 10 years. And so how many dogs have you rescued to date? Oh, my gosh. Well over a thousand. Okay. Well over a thousand. Okay. And you pull them from an organization in South Carolina? Is that what I recall you saying? I have my favorite and and it's called Mamas. And they're in South Carolina. And um, they they go up and beyond to make sure that their dogs are solid, good family dogs. And so I really like working with them. Their paperwork is great. Um, their dogs are good. And they're just, um, they're very knowledgeable. I have um, seven in May coming up from their, that organization. And one of them needs surgery. One needs their leg removed um, due to a car accident. And then the owners didn't take care of it. I also work with another group in Tennessee. They have some great dogs, too. Um, they have a lot of cute puppies. 
and we like puppies. Yeah, everybody likes a puppy, right? Yeah, everybody likes a puppy. (laughs) Yeah, so there has to be a little bit of a challenge in moving the the dogs from those southern states up to you in Pennsylvania. Um, Do you find that challenging? What does that process look like for you? Well, Mamas has a really good um, transport coordinator, and they do legs where people drive so many miles, and then they hand off the dogs to another group, and then they drive so many miles. And then they get to a point where they have people who actually overnight these dogs for us. Then they start up the very next day, and they they get to, um, I think, Montage Mountain in Scranton, where my volunteers pick them up and bring them to the rescue. Um, so I don't have that much to do with transporting. And I also have Luann, who's my transport coordinator. And when we do pull dogs, like we just pulled dogs from Texas last month, she handles all that. And I guess that makes her pull her hair out once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I do hear transport is a little sticky, which is why I was asking, because I want people to learn, um, you know, what you're doing, maybe what they can do better and, and how they go about that process. So right. They should always offer to transport, even for any rescue. You know, these dogs are solid. They, they're they not going to put an aggressive dog into a, somebody's car. Right. You know, so these dogs are, and a lot of times you're putting them in crates. So, you know, you have no issue. You always should put your dog in crates. I'm a firm believer in transporting um, of crates. Getting back to transporting, um, it's very important. Without these people who give up their weekends, these dogs wouldn't have a chance. Um the overnighters and the people who transport are very, very important key elements to, to rescue because without their support, how would we get these dogs here? You know, there are paid transports and some that's very expensive, rightfully so. There's ma- maintenance and gas and time, those people's times. But it, that can be really costly when you're pulling more than a couple dogs. Yeah, I think the bottom line is there's more than one way to do things, right? I think, you know, what you saw bringing it back to the very beginning, what you saw when you were volunteering at a, at a previous organization wasn't really what you believed, right? And so exactly. you kind of branched off and and you're doing what works for you and what works for the, the group that you adopt to. And the, exactly. same thing, the same thing with transport, right? There's multiple tools out there and multiple ways to do things to save lives. And I think, you know, you, those two instances are, are great stories to showcase that. Right. And they're not wrong ways. They just they just work for me. Right. Um, and just like maybe other ways work for other rescues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we deny people too. I mean, we don't adapt to every person that fills out an application. Um, and, and sometimes people get upset with us. But at the bottom line is it's what's best for the dog. Bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So I know that you're coming up on your 10 years. Um, are you guys having an event to celebrate that milestone or tell us what you have upcoming for the future for you. We're going to celebrate at the National Pet Adoption Weekend at PetSmart in Dixon City. And why we chose PetSmart is we've been with PetSmart since I started this journey and we've just really formed an awesome relationship with the Dixon City group. And it's going to be in September 15th. Um, we're still working out the ins and outs but um, we're going to have, of course, puppies and um, maybe a cake um, and just different um, things. Maybe somebody's talked about maybe getting some different kind of donations of treats and having a treat testing or treat bags for different for people to come in and take a bag of treats and stuff like that. But 
Um, it's all in the works, but it's definitely the week of the weekend, September 15th, which is a Sunday at Parts PetSmart in Dixon City. Yeah, 10 years. Can you believe it? Yeah, that's pretty amazing in the rescue world to be around for 10 years. So you guys are obviously yeah. doing something right. Yeah, I think it's I take a vacation every year. And um, just sometimes I just don't pull dogs just to regroup and give my gang of four a chance to have me for themselves. Yeah, that's important, right? We all need to take time for ourselves to rejuvenate and and reset. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, Actually, it's probably needed more than once a year, right? Yeah, it is because people don't realize what rescuers see. I can't imagine... But the people that actually, when they rescue the dog, you start from the very beginning, the homeless dog, and they rescue it, and what they see, and some of these emaciated stories and uh, cases of abuse, we don't see that. We get the end result where the dog is well enough to travel, and we find we we're, I'm at the end of the chain where I find the home. I can't imagine what it would be like to find a dog who has been starved, beaten, baited any of that. Right. I um I don't think I would have been here 10 years if I would have had that end of that. Yeah, it's definitely hard. Nothing in animal welfare is easy, right? It's right. It's different for each person. It's what they're passionate about and it's what they can handle emotionally because it is a very emotionally charged industry. It is. Not only the sacrifices that people make. I mean, Divorces over I <laughs> divorces over rescue people and people can't handle the way we live. I mean, we have dogs everywhere. Right. Um, it's, it takes a very very special person to do rescue. Yeah, absolutely. So when you guys get closer to September fifteenth, where will you post that information on your event? Will that be on your website or is that on Facebook? How can people find more about that to join you? Um, definitely going to be on Facebook and it'll definitely be on our website. Um, that's probably the only two places that we really do most of our networking or advertising. Okay. And how can people find you on Facebook and what is your website? Well, on Facebook, it would be Laura's Hope Rescue. Our website is laurashoperescue.com. So we definitely encourage people to, to check that out and, and see if they can start following and, and find a way to support you guys. So we think you're doing amazing work and we definitely look forward to following you. And, and I hope you have a successful event on September 15th there with PetSmart. Um, before we wrap things up, I know we talked about quite a bit today. Is there anything else that we forgot or maybe that you want to mention? We just have to keep educating our community on positive pet ownership and spaying, neutering. It's amazing when I adopt dogs, when I tell them about the situation they came from or how they were just dumped in a bin outside a shelter, they, they can't comprehend that. They don't realize the severity of it. Knowledge is the key. I just hope that we continue to keep educating our community about good pet ownership and um, just to spay and neuter our pets, just to try to make a difference. Yeah. And it's just not, it's just not dogs or cats. It's horses. It's, it's farm animals. It's, it's everything. Yep, absolutely. I couldn't agree. Education uh, is definitely key. And, and of course, the spaying and neutering as well. So that's a great way to, to wrap up our call here, Grace. And I'm super excited to have been able to connect with you. And, and thanks for sharing. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with dobert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.